It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. What's up, y'all? Liv Moose here. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman. Hey, everyone. I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crunch Time Plays. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thanks so much. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And and with all the, the changes in the college sports landscape, really trying to bring you the best guests, trying to bring, stay informed of, of everything that's going on uh, in the world of college sports. There's so many things changing, and we've got one of the best today. She's been a sports business analyst for a lot of different places, and she's also the founder of businessofcollegesports.com, and that's Christy Dodge. Christy, Thanks so much for taking time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I love talking about these subjects. So I appreciate any time I have somebody else who wants to listen to me talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely a pleasure to have you. And I wanted to, to start off with, with NIL, just so many different topics to, to go into with that. But how many, to your to your knowledge, I know you, you're kind of doing a tracker on your website on the on different state laws and different things like that. But but can you just inform the audience just how many states have have passed this so far and and when can we expect some of these to take into effect? I know there's gonna be five or six states that start on July first. Yeah, so we've got 19 total states as of today where the governors have signed the legislation. It is now officially law. Some of those don't take effect until sometime over the next couple of years. We have six states right now going into effect on July 1st. We have two states that technically are already in effect, uh, Nebraska and Oklahoma, but schools have to sort of individually in those states grant the rights to their student athletes. And there's some conditions that have to be met in terms of uh, like university system wide uh, rules and programming and that kind of stuff. And so to my knowledge, no schools in either of those states have actually granted those rights yet, but those could start today. Um, and then we have six we know of coming on July 1st. The other with 13 are, or I guess it's 11 if you take out Nebraska and Oklahoma, uh, are over the next couple of years. And there are four that I'm aware of that have already been passed by their state legislature, but have not been signed by the governors yet. We expect that those will be. So there may be another couple of states that have those July 1st start dates. And I think we're going to see as we are now uh, approaching the last couple of weeks before these go into effect, that we may see several more states jump on board as well. Whenever we start talking about the, the different states having these NIL laws, it brings in to the subject of, of the NCAA, what they're what they're planning on doing on this. I know they're, they're behind the eight ball, it seems as usual, but what when it kind of, I know they've been having the hearings in, in Congress the last couple weeks. Are they? Is are you aware of anything that the NCA is planning on passing before July first? And and if so, how does it compare or differ from what these states are going into effect on that date? Yeah, they have meetings. I think it's June 22nd and June 23rd. They have said that at those meetings, they will take up their legislation again. Everyone expected them to pass that legislation in January, and they did not. They had received a letter uh, from the Department of Justice, and it concerned them that maybe there were some scenarios and some issues they hadn't thought through yet. So they sort of kicked the can down the road. The They were hoping, I think, that there would be federal legislation that would make this more uniform across all of the states and also protect the NCAA from some 
potential legal issues. Uh, we've now had uh, Senate hearings already. I believe there are more federal hearings coming up. Based on what I know right now, I do not think that there is going to be a federal law uh, before July 1st. I don't think there's going to be a federal law before the start of the school year. I'm not even sure there's going to be one before the end of the calendar year at this point. I think we're still a ways away from that. Whether or not the NCAA will act at its June 22nd, June 23rd meetings, it is really hard to say. One day I talk to folks and they think for sure it's going to happen. And the next day I talk to folks in college athletics and they don't think it's going to happen. Uh, so I, I really think it's 50-50 at this point, whether that happens at the meeting or not. One of the frustrations that we hear all the time about the NCAA being reactive instead of proactive about a lot of these different issues that come up in, in the sports world, it seems like every you know state is having to to take it upon in themselves to be able to give their schools a, an advantage on this That's, and what a, is there anything that the NCA can do can do better or different to kind of be more proactive instead of reactive in these situations yeah, I mean, they they knew this was coming for a while, uh, even before the first state passed its bill, which was California last year, back before the pandemic began. And so they could have done something about this a long time ago. You know, I, I try to see both sides of it um, and put myself in the NCAA's shoes and think through the potential lawsuits that could come down the road. You know, I think a lot of fans just wonder, or just a lot of people who are a proponent of having this wonder, you know, why can't the NCAA just vote next week at their meeting to, to give student athletes these rights? It, it seems so easy on the surface, uh, but I do see from a legal perspective, a few potential legal issues. The NCAA has spent a lot of money over the last decade defending itself against suits from former and current student athletes. So I think they're trying to manage that bleed a little. Um, and it's been a PR nightmare for them. No one has anything good to say about the NCAA these days, about NIL, or quite frankly, about anything else. <laughs> um, you know, they really got taken to task during the men's and women's basketball tournament about the way they were handling gender equity. You know, I think everyone is sort of looking to poke holes in what they do, but it certainly looks like this is something that they just sat back and hoped would go away and it didn't. And uh, now they're faced with having to put something in place because you do have 19 different state laws. Uh, to my knowledge, I've read them all. I can't think of any two that are identical. There are no two that have the exact same words throughout the entire legislation. And really there are a lot of similarities, but there's some differences in terms of needing to provide things like financial literacy or Georgia's law has a weird provision that allows schools to require sharing between student athletes of their name, image, and likeness revenue. Uh, most schools have already come out and said they're not going to adopt that, but it gives them the ability to do so. So there's some differences. And I would imagine that that is a little confusing for recruits when they're trying to figure out the schools that they're looking at, which schools can I go to that are going to allow me to monetize my name, image, and likeness as soon as possible? And what are the rules in that state? Or what rules is that individual institution going to have? It's a lot to navigate. And I, I just had lunch with a friend who's also in sports media. And we both, as soon as we start talking about this, said next school year is going to be a mess. It doesn't matter whether there's an NCAA rule or not. It is going to be a weird sort of uh, free-for-all and figuring out what the market looks like and dealing with unintended consequences. It is going to be a mess. Um, now, as somebody who analyzes this for a living, that's great for me. I'm not going to run out of things to talk about, <laughs> uh, but it's going to be a mess for college athletic administrators for sure. Whenever you start talking about ways to, to be proactive, I think a lot of schools are really 
taking advantage of that, really trying to educate their their student athletes on their opportunities for the for the states that have passed laws already. And one of the I know one of the the partners that that some schools are using is is Altia Sports, and they they do a great job. But just listening to some of the coaches, specifically at, at South Carolina, you know, Coach Coach Beamer's talked about the the great job that Altia Sports is doing with their student athletes as well as as other student athletes on campus. But what are some of what are some disadvantages and advantages and advantages that you can see for for student athletes and, and not being not being well informed about the name, image, and likeness opportunities that they may have. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve in terms of in order to monetize things like your social media presence, what are brands going to be looking for? Because it's not just how many followers you have or what your engagement rate is. I mean, those things can be important to an extent. Um, but I just had somebody on my podcast a week or two ago talking about artificial intelligence and how they're going to use this platform that's going to allow them to go back to everything you've ever posted on social media, even if you thought you deleted it, and it's looking for certain words, and some words are going to exclude you from working with a brand. Some words are going to have them flag you as somebody that potentially fits with the brand. And so some of the issue is going to be that you've got this uh, sort of history of social media content probably as a student athlete, and some of it is going to work against you. And quite frankly, there's not a lot you can do about it right now except to continue to sort of build from where you're at. And so there's going to be a lot of skills student athletes need to learn to monetize their name, image, and likeness, particularly when we talk about doing it on social media. Social media is the lowest hanging fruit. It's going to be the easiest thing for everyone to get, regardless of what sport you're in, regardless of your male or female, regardless of even what school you go to. I think there's social media opportunities for every single student athlete out there who wants to be active on social media. But it's not just a matter of having an account and having followers. You really have to develop that personal brand. You have to have some sort of cohesive uh, personality to what you're putting out there. And then there's hard skills you have to learn. Like I've been teaching myself TikTok over the last week because I feel like I need to learn that platform so that I can talk to student athletes about it. And it's figuring out the actual editing skills used in TikTok videos. It's figuring out lighting. It's figuring out timing. Uh, you know, it, it's figuring out how to do overlays. And, you know, there, there's all this video editing and content creation that you have to learn that are hard skills. Um, and that differs with every social media platform. You know, making a great YouTube video is different than making a great TikTok is different than making a great feed post on Instagram. And so it's deciding which platforms you're going to put your time and energy into and learning the skills to to succeed on those platforms and then finding brands who are looking for the audience that you already have. So there's great opportunities, but I think there's also a lot for student athletes to learn. And, and that's just on the content creation side. I won't get down a whole rabbit hole, but because I am an attorney, I always think too about the stuff that's going to happen after you partner with the brand, the terms that are in the contract, how they're going to be allowed to use your content, how you get money, you know, how do you invoice people? What do you do when they're not paying you, you know, I think there's sort of this whole new list of skills student athletes are going to need in order to be successful and monetize their name, image, and likeness. What, one of the things that, that I've, that I've heard is, if, you know, just throughout various places, is the idea of, of taking the, the name, image, and likeness money that, that a student athlete earns and, and holding it for them until they graduate. But, but to me, it, it seems like, you know, it's probably not going to 
probably not going to work out very well. You know, it's one of those things that sounds good in theory, but it's actually when it's actually put into practice, it probably doesn't work very well because a, a lot of student athletes, you know, don't even graduate. They move on to the, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, whatever, whatever they choose to do if, if they're good enough to make a professional team. But so how how do you go about uh, possibly distributing some of that money that it comes from the NIL? There were proposals that have been brought up over the last couple of years at the NCAA and other levels where the idea was to hold that money in trust until a student athlete either graduates or exhausts their eligibility. I think a lot of that was aimed at trying to reduce the impact or the um, uh, the the sort of uh, persuasiveness a booster could have to bring a recruit to a specific school. I think the idea was if you pushed off and you couldn't actually touch the money until after graduation or until after your eligibility expired, that maybe that would reduce the number of boosters trying to offer incentives to student athletes to go to particular schools. Because even if there's a rule that says that and some of the, you know, the state legislation, a lot of it says something along those lines, you know, the idea has been to allow student athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness in the same way as other students on campus campus who can do so. However, other students on campus probably didn't get recruited by outside third parties to come to school there. And so they probably didn't have people offering them, hey, you know, if you come to this school, I'm going to make sure you have an autograph signing at my car dealership for X amount of money. Um, even if the rules say you can't do that, we all know it's going to happen because it happens now when it's not allowed, you know, when money can't change hands between third parties and student athletes at all. And so it's certainly going to continue to happen when we have these rules in place. And so I think that trust idea um, was sort of brought up as maybe a way to mitigate that a little bit, but I don't expect that to be in any sort of NCAA or federal law that comes from this point forward or in any state law for that matter. I think that's kind of off the table now. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if anybody thinks that the stuff isn't happening now, I mean, you're, you're, you're mistaken, even though we, you know, we try to think about everybody being clean and different things like that. It's still, it's still, it's still going on out there. But one of the, one of the questions that, that I had that if, if I were a student athlete that I like your opinion on is, is about the conflicting interest of brands and schools. So like if you, is there going to be anything in maybe like the the NLI or, or different things like that that say these are the brands that that we're partnering with as a school? You have to use these brands, whereas a student athlete could go out and sign a deal with with Under Armour at a Nike school to wear their products. Are there are there going to be any conflicting brand interests, you know, kind of guardrails or anything like that? That is one of the big things that could go a number of different ways that we still don't know. I know a lot of athletic administrators that I talked to haven't really figured out how they're going to manage this on campus and what they're going to do because they still don't know what the rules are going to be yet. And that's one of those rules that's still up in the air. And we've seen it handled several different ways, even in state legislation, with regards to whether or not an athletic department could block a student athlete from doing a certain deal because it conflicted with an athletic department deal because the idea is, okay, if your athletic department is a Nike school and now suddenly your top, you know, men's basketball player can sign a shoe deal with Adidas, does that devalue the athletic department's deal with Nike? And so I think there has been uh, sort of two different schools of thought on this from the side of college athletics. Um, one, are partners like Nike going to come back and want to renegotiate contracts because they're no longer getting the same value they thought they were getting before? Or even if they don't renegotiate, are they going to offer 
offer less when they come back to the table when the deal is ready for its next extension or you're ready for your next new deal because the value is somehow now less because student athletes can sign with competitors. So there's that concern. Um, and then the other concern uh, and I know I totally lost my train of thought. Isn't that terrible? I was like, I have two really good things about this that I've heard from college athletic administrators. Um, so one is the concern that their current deals will be devalued. Um, and the other one must have been something along the lines um, that money is going to be directed away from college athletic departments and more towards student athletes that when brands are looking at their marketing budget and have to make decisions that instead of 100% of their college athletics marketing budget going to schools now maybe it's 50/50 or maybe it's even 60% towards student athletes and only 40% towards schools and so there's a concern that even if those contracts uh, you know, aren't renegotiated currently that when it comes time for those new deals, that the marketing strategy will have shifted towards spending the money on the student athletes instead. So that is still very much up in the air. I, I have no idea which way that's going to go with the NCAA or the federal government. Some state uh, bills have mentioned it, some have not. So it really could go either way at this point, I think. I do, I feel like the NCAA will likely try to include language that keeps those conflicting deals from happening because they want to protect the schools. That's, uh, you know, sort of, that's who makes up the NCAA as the presidents of universities. Um, so I have a feeling that will be in their legislation if and when they ever pass legislation. <laughs> one of the one of the things that I've, that I've been thinking about over, over the past few days is is on June, on July 1st, whenever a lot of these laws go into effect, is it going to be an opening up of the, of the floodgates type thing where that that afternoon, that night, you see athletes, you know, starting to post on social media or whatever they've struck endorsement deals with with brands. I know there's a thing around that where some athletes from Georgia have have struck an endorsement deal with Onward Reserve, it's the clothing brand with a the former Georgia punter. Are we are we going to see the kind of the opening up of the floodgates? Do you think on July first? And the second part of that question is how much money could we possibly see? any of these athletes earning, you know, to start off with, because I don't, I don't think, you know, brands are going to be want to spend much money to start off with, but they possibly will spend more and more moving forward because you, you still have a lot of States where you have college and professional teams. You're still going to want to partner with those professional teams to, to have endorsement deals with athletes as well. One state, you know, that doesn't have a, professional team in South Carolina, so South Carolina and Clemson could probably benefit more from, from NIL deals that, that some other schools couldn't with that in, unique advantage having no pro teams. But are we are we going to see kind of an opening up of the floodgates type thing? I do think we're going to see a lot of deals announced on July 1st. I don't know that we'll start seeing uh, like the post or the advertising or the collateral on July 1st, but I think we're going to hear a lot of announcements that week. Uh, we've already heard a couple of people come out. You mentioned the Georgia example. Uh, I live down in Florida and there's already been a company here in Florida that's announced it's going to be using a handful of student athletes from University of Florida. And so I do think that these 
excuse me, are already happening behind the scenes. In fact, I've talked to several social media, media marketing agencies uh, that have told me that they have brands already lining up campaigns and starting to identify the exact student athletes that they would want to work with. So absolutely, I think that starting on July 1st, we're going to start seeing all these new head, news headlines about deals that have been made. And then as far as the value goes, um, it's going to be all over the place. There's going to be a lot of, I think, particularly female student athletes who are going to be getting DMs on Instagram. Instagram from boutiques and that sort of thing, offering them 50 bucks for a post or a bunch of free product for a post. I mean, I get those uh, weekly and I don't even have that big of a following and I'm you know, certainly not a student athlete or young and fun or anything like that. And I still get those every single week. And so I do think those will start coming in for student athletes right away. Um, I also think we'll see some big deals. Some of that will depend on whether we end up with any language around conflicting with athletic department deals, because I think that the largest deals we could potentially see down the road would be for things like shoe deals with student athletes. Um, I think that some of your top football and men's basketball players, and then you're going to have, you know, a, a few big women's basketball players, maybe even a few men or women in other sports that have big, unique sort of niche followings that are going to be able to make multiple six figures a year doing this from autographs, from appearances, from social media marketing. Um, so I think there's going to be some people who are going to be able to make some serious money. But I think every student athlete out there will have the opportunity to make some money, whether that's teaching a camp, teaching private lessons, you know, like 50 bucks to do a post with a fashion boutique. I mean, I think there's opportunities for literally every single student athlete out there if they want to put in the time and effort to be engaged in this. There's probably going to be some who just want to concentrate on school and concentrate on their sport. Um, but I think for those who want to monetize their name, image, and likeness, there are going to be more than enough opportunities to go around because this is where the advertising world is moving anyway. Forget student athletes or not. Um, I just read a ton of research over the past week about how much money is being put into digital marketing and into social media marketing. And it's insane. And that's because research shows that people buy based off of recommendations and things that they see online. And so a lot of marketing budgets are moving this way anyhow, and student athletes are going to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree 100%. There's definitely going to be so many opportunities for, for athletes to, to take advantage of this if they choose to. And, and there's a lot of people that say, especially, you know, in the major sports, when we're talking about college football and college basketball that, that offer a lot of full scholarships, is, is a scholarship is enough. It's enough payment for, for the time, the effort, all the money that the school brings in because of the athletes. Is there anything that you would say that, that would dispute that, if at all? You know, what I always try to remind myself is that largely outside of football and men's basketball, every other sport loses money. So this isn't like professional sports. We can't just look at it and say, um, you know, that because football makes X amount of money, football student athletes should be making Y amount of money because it's not set up like that. It's not like Coca-Cola. You know, if Coca-Cola had, uh, you know, if Sprite wasn't selling anymore, Coca-Cola would either reinvent it, switch up the flavor, change the packaging. You know, they would try to do things to make it profitable. And then ultimately, if it wasn't, they would get rid of it. <laughs> and that's not how college sports work. Uh, to play at the FBS football level at the highest level, you must carry 16 sports. At almost every school, 14 of those 16 sports lose money. Um, and so it's the money made from football and men's basketball that supports all those other sports. 
and that's how the NCAA was designed. That's how college athletics was designed to operate. And so a lot of times what I hear is people putting it through the lens of professional sports, but it's not set up like that. It never was. And so it's a matter of balancing. Yes, it seems like facilities have gotten out of hand. Uh, you know, coaching salaries have gotten out of hand. You know, we see these enormous sums of money, especially in football and men's basketball. But you have to also remind yourself that all that money that they're making, part of the reason it's not going to the student athletes is because it's going to support all these other sports. Um, and, and so it's just a different business model than I think most people understand. I did not understand it when I was just a fan. Part of the reason I started blogging about the business of college sports was because I kept learning things that I was like, oh my gosh. You know, I had gone to Florida when Florida won, uh, while I was in law school there, two basketball national championships and one football national championship. I didn't grow up a Gator, but I was there at a time when they were so good, it was impossible not to become a Florida fan. And I was just a fan. I cared about whether they won or lost. And I don't think I could have even told you what Urban Meyer was making at the time. I didn't know and didn't care as a fan. And then as I was practicing law and blogging about business issues and sports, and I started learning all these different things about how college sports operate and what the finance actually looks like, you know, my mind was sort of blown. And that's what made me start blogging about it and ultimately write a book about it. And now I spend my whole life talking about it. But I didn't know any of this stuff when all I concentrated on was winning and losing. Yeah, that, that definitely brings me into the, the biggest beneficiaries from all this. And, and you know, as we know, it's all about the bottom line for these these athletics departments. But, but to me, it really having the opportunity for the all these athletes from sports outside of of you know men's basketball and college football it really allows the money to flow into these you know other sports that that are that we talk about football and college basketball having to support and then you know for the for the kids it's you know a lot of none of these sports outside of of college football and, and college basketball have a lot of full scholarships to give out. You know, baseball's got 11.7 scholarships. Right. A lot of other sports are less than that. So, so kids are really, they can definitely be a way to, to sort of pay for school in a sense. Yeah, I don't think people don't realize how many student athletes are on partial scholarships and how small those partials can be sometimes. It's not uncommon for a baseball student athlete, for example, to be on a 116th scholarship. I mean, some of them are on tiny scholarships. So it's always interesting to watch people uh, with kids who are in competitive sports. And look, I, I played softball my entire life. I played a number of other sports here and there. Um, but to I, I coached once I, once I was in college and into my 20s, and it was really interesting interesting all the parents who thought that their kids in softball and baseball were going to go get full scholarships to go to colleges. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize just how many student athletes, particularly male student athletes in Olympic sports, who are on these partial scholarships. And so I think this is going to be a great opportunity to make some side money. A lot of these student athletes, because of their schedule, can't work a more traditional job while they're in school. Um, and a lot of them don't get to do internships in their chosen field. And I think this is going to give them an opportunity to make money sort of on their own time because you can make money, you know, on social media posting content, even if you're posting at 10 o'clock at night, you know, it doesn't have to be a nine to five sort of thing. So I think it's going to allow some of these student athletes to earn some side money and to earn, to learn some hard skills. So I have for a decade now gone into college athletic departments and talked to student athletes about 
beyond graduation and things like resumes and cover letters and um, interview skills. And student athletes always say to me, well, I haven't had time to do any internships like my classmates. And they feel like they're behind, like they don't have a good enough resume for the jobs they want to apply for. And I think this is going to give them an opportunity to learn content creation skills, which are so, so important. I own my own PR agency. And so we hire positions in the agency all the time. And I am really drawn to candidates who have experience with writing, with social media management, with podcasting, you know, with content creation, because that is becoming so important in every industry now. And now student athletes are going to have the opportunity to hone those skills and make money while they do it. So I'm super excited for student athletes in that respect. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and, you know, when you think about athletes not having the, the opportunities that, that a lot of, that a lot of students have, I mean, we can talk about, you know, if you're a, a music major, you know, you can write a, write a song and make money off of that. But if you're a college athlete, you can't really make, make money off your personal brand right now. So to me, it's really just about helping the athlete, you know, is the biggest beneficiary from all this. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity. And I, I think people have maybe discounted how how many student athletes are going to benefit from this because we hear so much about what's going to happen for like the tippy top, you know, football and men's basketball players and maybe trickles into a few other sports. But as I've said before, but I'll say it again, I think every single student athlete will have the opportunity to make money with this. How how the last, last thing about the NIL that I had for you was how how big of a recruiting advantage do you think it is for especially when you're when we're in the time now where we're on campus recruiting just opened back up at the first part of June for, for a lot of the major sports how how big is the states that are already applying these rules on July 1st how, how much do you think they're emphasizing that in recruiting this month for players that are on campus I've talked to a couple of prep football coaches that I know and folks that deal with you know high school seniors and juniors that are making these decisions. And they say that these recruits are asking about it a lot. They want to know what kind of program schools are going to have, what resources they're going to make available to them. They are paying attention to which states are going to allow it and when, because if you think about it, you know, if you're making a decision, you know, if you have people, especially last year, like now we're getting pretty close, but if you had people last year who were starting to make decisions about where they we're going to go for this 2021-2022 school year. And you're looking at some states that laws don't go into effect until 2023. You know, are you going to give up two years of your four-year college career where you won't be allowed to make money? Because what if the NCAA doesn't pass anything and the federal government doesn't pass anything and we're down to just state law? There are a number of states that their start dates are not until 2023. And so you're talking about giving up half of your college career without being able to monetize your name, image, likeness. Meanwhile, you know, maybe somebody you played with in high school is going to school in a state where they're doing it right away. I mean, that would weigh into my decision if I were a, a recruit and was deciding, you know, maybe if I was close between two schools, that could be a differentiating factor, I think, for sure. There's no doubt about that. And, and Chris, it's been awesome stuff about about NIL. I did want to hit uh, one other thing with you before before we let you go. The, the 12 team college football playoff expansion proposal is out. Are there anything, any things that you that you like about it that you dislike about it? And how much, you know, how it starts to to beg into question how much money could this new expanded playoff bring in? I mean, I think USA Today may have estimated it 
the other day, it could bring up, you know, close to, to $2 billion for, for every, by the time you, you count on to everything. How, what would you envision the, the conference payouts looking like uh, for a 12-team college football playoff expansion? And, and or is there anything that you like or dislike about the new proposal? Yeah, I've seen numbers kind of all over the place. I think it's hard to speculate, except that we know it's a lot of money. I mean, this is not like we don't know whether media networks are going to be interested in this or not. Of course, they're going to be. Um, the money is going to be there for it. Live sports still drives huge television contracts, not just in college sports, but in the pros as well. Um, it's tough for me because I actually did not want to <laughs> personally expand. And you want to send me nasty notes to my Twitter and whatever, fine. Um, I struggle with it because I'm someone who has a tough time caring about the regular college basketball season. I really don't pay a whole lot of attention until we get into the tournament. And it's a wonderful tournament. Uh, and it's such an exciting time of year. But quite frankly, I rarely watch college basketball before the tournament. Um, and I don't want college football to become that. And maybe it wouldn't anyway, if this is personal, I'm a bigger football fan than I am a basketball fan anyway. Um, and so I have struggled with the idea of expanding. Um, I've struggled with the idea of asking student athletes to play additional games on top of what they already play, because we know the wear and tear on their bodies, especially the guys who are getting ready to go into the draft. You're talking about, you know, another game that they could potentially get hurt during that could affect their ability to go pro. So I've had reasons I've hesitated on it. I'm not like staunchly against it, but I've had some hesitations. Um, now that it looks like it's a virtual certainty, I'll get on board. It's fine. I can get excited about it. Um, you know, more football games to watch is always better. I can get on board with that. Um, and I think it's going to bring in a lot of money, not just from the expanded games, you know, bringing in media money, but I've seen quite a few ADs getting excited about the fact of having, uh, you know, first round games on campuses and, and the additional money that another home game would bring. You know, there's lots of economic impact studies out there, especially about small college towns. Um, and the number of home games they have every year has an enormous impact on the town's economy. Last year, when we saw, uh, you know, fans not allowed to attend games in a lot of places and very small capacities, you know, restaurants and hotels and all these businesses that count on having these home games every fall really were hurting. And so, I think it could be a big boom for uh, small town economies in particular. So, you know, at the end of the day, from a money perspective, it's good for everyone. I think the only real downside to it is the wear and tear on student athletes. But most student athletes that I've heard from are all for it. You know, they're competitive. They want to play more. They want that shot at a national championship. So I haven't really heard a whole lot of them complaining about having to, you know, play additional an additional game or two. Um, but that's why I've had some hesitations around it. But it's, I think at this point it's going to happen and it's going to be an absurd amount of money when it happens. Uh, that's definitely true. And, and whenever you start thinking about the money that it, it could bring in and it's starting to, to build around all these different programs, you know, the last few years it's been, you know, only four or five teams that, that have a chance to, to win the national championship. And then you start bringing in the 12 team conversation, especially with the, with the group of five schools, you know, you think about a school like, like UCF that, that just hired yeah. Gus Malzahn and, and, but they're gonna, but the money, the money bringing in is going to allow, and it's a bigger, bigger pie to split. It's going to allow better facilities, better, better 
on campus visits, different things like that for the recruits. And and, well, if you're and I'll admit, I, I'm sick of seeing the same teams over and over. Like, look, I went to Florida. I'm a Florida fan, but there's plenty of other teams I would love to see win to living in the state of Florida. I would have loved to have seen UCF going after a national championship. Like, you know, it doesn't need to be Florida that's in the, that's in the playoff for me to get excited about it. But, you know, I, I'm tired of seeing Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State. And, you know, it is getting old seeing the same teams over and over. And this seems like what needs to happen in order to shake that up a little bit. So, like I said, I'm slow, guys, but I'm getting on board. I'm going to be excited about it when it happens. It has just taken me a little extra time to get there mentally. <laughs> well, it, uh, last thing, whenever you think about the the recruits that that are coming on campus with the with the different things that you're going to be able to do with that extra money, it could, you know, a, a kid could decide to to stay closer to home. Like Florida's got. So many great recruits that they could go to to UCF and realize that, hey, I still got a shot at winning the national championship. Sure. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Well, Christy, it's been awesome having you today. Tell, tell everybody where they can find you on social media, where they can find your work. It's, it's been a great conversation and, and where people can learn more about uh, NIL and different things like that on your website as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Like I said, always stuff I love to talk about. Um, I spend a lot of my time on Twitter. So if you're wanting to say something nice or you want to gripe at me about something I said, <laughs> Twitter is probably the best place to do that at Sports Biz Miss, which if you're watching this, you can see on the screen. Um, I'm Sports Biz Miss on all the platforms. So if you want to find me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, uh, I'm sorry, TikTok, now that I'm on TikTok too, I'm Sports Biz Miss on everything. Um, and you mentioned earlier, my website is Business of College Sports. Com. I have a podcast called Business of College Sports, and I write for Forbes, but if I write a Forbes piece about college sports versus professional sports, uh, it gets moved over to my Business of College Sports site as well. So that's a pretty good kind of home to find all my work and links out to everything and love hearing from people and knowing what you want to know more about so that I can either write or podcast about these things. So by all means, uh, get in touch. I love to hear from you. Well, Christy, it's been awesome having you. We'll have to definitely have to do it again uh, real soon as all the NIL stuff gets going. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And thanks so much for Christy coming on today. Thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.